0: wow we've we've uh, outdone ourselves with this one we have an incredible guest today like we were saying before we even started we've had three incredible careers four careers now in her latest um, adventure season she began well in 2012 she competed at the pan am games for cycling was a dominant force in rugby led the 2010 and 2006 in leading try scorer led to a hall of fame induction that's that's a lot that's impressive She now then transitioned to bobsleigh. I I could go on forever. I'll keep this to a minimum. Four-time Olympian. Back-to-back gold medals. Back-to-back in the 2010 and 2014 games. 16 World Cup medals. Two World Cup championship medals. Probably my favorite thing the entire time is a record holder on almost every single track around the world. Thank you for coming. I, we will get to this later on with you dominating the public speaking, coaching, and now authoring. But thank you for coming on, Heather Moyes.
1: Awesome. It's so good to be here. Thanks for having me, you guys.
0: So like a lifetime in sport,
2: but what I'm interested in is how has life been after sport? Obviously, Pyeongchang was the last time that you were in a bobsled, mm-hmm. um, and now three years since that. Like, How's, how's life been since sport?
1: First of all, I can't even believe it's already been three years. I think that, I think time has just gone by really fast. It's really crazy how quickly, like even after Pyeongchang, I was, when they were asking me to go back to Pyeongchang at first, the first couple of times they asked me to go back, I said, no, like, I'm not interested. I love what I do now. I love my business. I love empowering other people. And then it was literally six months before the games when I finally was just, they kind of made it more about leadership and about um, helping the the next generation as opposed to just going back to win a medal. And so it kind of fit with my business and what I do now. And yeah, it's just been the, the, I guess it's kind of been transitioning for a number of years, not just within these past few years, because I really didn't expect to be going back to Pyeongchang. I kind of had finished after Sochi and then was kind of reeled back into it again for Pyeongchang. So it's just been a little bit it's been strange mostly because of COVID obviously in the last, in the last year. Um, But it's been a great transition. I mean, some transitions can be really difficult and some can be a little more seamless than others. And this was kind of a natural transition because it had kind of evolved throughout my competition, but it's been really, really great.
2: And that's something you talk about the transition and you've had some gaps in your career. You were in Trinidad for three years and then you took, as you said three or three and a half years off after Sochi so has this felt uh, differently than the other times that you've had time off or stepped away
1: yeah well I mean it feels a little more permanent um I mean it's it's weird because I didn't actually start training or taking sports seriously like and even lifting weights until I was 27 until I started bobsledding which is which is It's kind of weird to look back and realize that 13 years of my life went by, you know, going in and out of, of, of different world cup circuits and and seasons. And so it's, yeah, it's, it just feels a little more like, okay, now this is, this is it. But I mean, is it ever it? I don't know. Do you get roped back into doing it again? Do you get roped into doing something different at like, something else. I think it's all about, it's not necessarily about one particular sport. It's a, and it, which it never was for me, except rugby. Rugby is a pretty, it's a pretty phenomenal sport. But um, like with, with bobsledding, it really was more about challenges that I fell in love with and not like the challenge of one in five months time. Okay. Five months. Can I actually learn a new sport, learn to do it well and compete for my country? And then we came fourth. And then I went back to finish my degree. I thought that was it. That's all I was going to do. And then all of a sudden that fourth place started nagging and nagging and nagging. And it's like kind of unfinished business, right? We, we missed standing on that podium by five hundredths of a second after four runs. And it's just like, Oh my God. So the next challenge was, okay, well, can I, Hmm. If I actually go back and train for three years leading up to Vancouver, can I? The challenge is, can I actually stand on the podium and win a medal for my country? And so that kind of embraced that challenge. And then after that, kind of thought I was done for a little bit, and then kind of got roped back in for for Sochi. And there were two challenges there. One was, can we go back to back? Before those Olympic games, only one Canadian athlete had ever done back to back Olympic games: Katrina Maidon. And so it was like, okay, can we win back to back gold medals here? Like, you know, and, and do that. And the second challenge was more personal because I had a lot of people doubting whether or not I could make it back. Cause I just had hip surgery. So I had hip surgery nine months before I had to try out, like before I had to qualify for that national team going into the Olympic season. So that was, that challenge. And so when I was asked to go back to Pyeongchang, it was kind of like, okay, well, you know, I'm kind of over it a little bit. And then when they, When they told me that there was a a kind of a lack of leadership in the program, it kind of became more of a challenge to see how I could help other people, you know, with that mindset and the ability to handle the pressure in high performance situations and, and be able to actually perform and execute at their best Um, without letting their mind kind of sabotage them in a way. So, um, so that was really fun to go back during that Pyeongchang, but it was a bit of, of a surprise. Again, that was only me going back six months before the, before the games. And I mean, when they first, when they asked me, I was like, okay, do you really know what you're asking? Like, I mean, I just turned 39. I haven't trained for three and a half years. I just, I had a second hip surgery that I, mistakenly recovered like a normal person instead of like an athlete. And so I don't really know if you, are you sure you know what you're asking for? And so it, it just, it became a month long process for me to actually figure out if I even wanted to put my business on hold to kind of do that again. And I ultimately did it. And I went back and the whole point was like, I, I made sure that, um, the Federation knew that I was I was not coming back to try and get in that Canada one sled again to, you know, just to win a gold medal at any cost. I was only coming back if they would support me and just pushing a rookie, like just pushing someone who had never competed in the Olympics before. Cause I mean, your goals change and your priorities change. And for me, my, my, it needed to align with, you know, my values and my business. And I didn't feel like I needed to just go and win for the sake of winning or prove, you know, just do it again and do it again and do it again. So anyway, that's how I kind of rephrase that challenge. And it was really fun.
2: So, yeah, I, w- I wanted to ask you about going back a little bit more in, in depth later, but you brought it up. So I, I would, I'll ask you about it now, but like you had, you had gone to Antarctica, you'd climbed a mountain. Like yes. it, it kind of seemed like you were, you were done and you were ab- about to really live like the, the best life you could away from sport. And th- they, pull you back in and I don't know if you knew you know but we had Alicia on last week I didn't know and, that and her uh her episode just came out today <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so uh like was you, you end up pushing her
1: mm-hmm.
2: was did you, you kind of see some of yourself in her with her coming from such a diverse athletic background as well
1: Um, well, bobsledding is a sport where most people come from a different background. Like with bobsledding, you can't actually, you can't actually compete until you're 18 or something like it's, and part of that is because it is such a, it's such a dangerous sport. If you are, it's not like rugby, everyone's kind of at the same level with rugby, you know, based on size, based on age, that sort of thing, as you're kind of going through the system. But with, um, bobsledding, it's you versus gravity and versus a, 200 plus kilo sled, like a riding on your head and your neck, if you, if you're going to crash. And so it's, it's, it's a little bit more based on your musculoskeletal system. And so they're kind of the rules as to whether you can, when you can start competing. So almost every single person, and I don't even know if there is a person who's competed in bobsledding, who hasn't come from another sport somewhere. So a lot of it's track and field. A lot of the guys come from football, like football backgrounds, um, sprinters, Uh, that sort of thing. And so it's, it's really trying to find that, especially for a brakeman um, the key is really to find people who have that combination of speed and strength. If you're just strong, great. You'll get it pushed out really fast, but if you're not fast enough, you won't keep up with the sled as it goes, you know, as you, as it gets going faster. And if you're just really fast, really top end turnover speed, then it's great. You can run with the sled for, you know, forever to get it going. But if you can't get it fast enough at the beginning, your start time's not going to be great. So we're talking about start time, but we're also talking about velocity and so these different things. So it's really kind of finding that ideal combination and it's with drivers, it's not as important necessarily to have that top end speed because the top ends kind of running, getting in last obviously after. Um, but I mean, I, I think it's, it's not so much that I can like, That I had a lot in common with her in in terms of her athletic background. It's more so just whether you can connect with a personality, whether you can, um, whether you have the same goals and desires. And she and I approached competition very differently. And she was very different than, than previous teammates I've had. And in terms of her uh, like the things that she needs and needs from her teammate in order to compete well. And so part of that as a teammate is understanding and knowing not only what you need to be successful, but also what your teammate needs to be able to, you know, execute to the best of their ability. So it was really fun. I mean, she and I got along really, really well and it was, it was really, yeah, really a a great time.
2: Yeah, no, I've, I've watched a a number of, of interviews with the two of you featured, (laughs) after knowing that we were going to have both of you guys on back to back. And I mean, it, it seems like you guys were just kind of almost like two peas in a pod. Like it, it seemed like you guys were just out there enjoying yourselves, which is honestly all you can ask for really.
1: We, were, we really, we, We really were. And we had a blast. And part of that was she needed to have fun in order to do well. And now mind you, I need to enjoy what I'm doing too, but I didn't kind of need that lightness as much as she did. So for me, it was really a breath of fresh air to be with someone where that was not only, uh, good, but encouraged, you know, and that was something that was really, um, it was really fun. I mean, we, we were called sisters and twins at one point and, um yeah, anyway, it was it was it was, a, it was a we had a great time. Yeah, I bet you had a great interview with her. Oh, oh she, it, she was it was she awesome. was
0: awesome. <laughs> it's pretty hard not to like Riz. She's uh very charismatic too. She she really is just a really great person to talk to.
1: Yeah. Well, she can be blamed for dragging me back in for piano. <laughs> time, <so. laughs> yeah.
2: And so like we've talked about how Bob Sled lots of the athletes come from diverse sports backgrounds and obviously as jack mentioned in in your introduction you that applies to you too but like you ran track at uh waterloo and phenomenally um and then you you played soccer there as well rugby as well i just want to know like from a young age what kind of a role did sports play for you
1: Um, so for me, I grew up in Prince Edward Island. So these, I don't know who your audience is here or how widespread it is, but for anybody outside of Canada, it is the smallest province in Canada, off the East coast of Canada, like in the ocean. So, um, I grew up with nobody around me who was, um, training to go to the Olympics or training to represent their country. It wasn't like Olympians were TV people, not normal everyday people like I considered myself to be. So sports was always something that I did extracurricular to what I was going to do to earn a living. So for me, it was, it was something for fun. It was an school activity and I just happened to excel in it, but it was never something that I was striving to get to a higher level. Like, I think I always kind of knew I was good enough to to play at university level. And I didn't think like, that's where my sister was going to be playing. And like, I just, I never really thought anything about, didn't really know anything about national teams. I didn't even know we had a national women's rugby team until I was told I was long listed for the team. And I was like, what do you mean? What does that mean? Long listed for what team? And they said the national women's rugby team. And I said, oh my God, we have, we have a national women's rugby team. Like I didn't even know because right. Cause there was no social media back then. There was no, like, I mean, it's not like women's sports was really being highlighted on TV. And so you just don't, you just don't know. And so for me, it was always just extracurricular and it was even a university. I mean, you said I played three different sports at university, which I did, but even then I'm at a level that most people would consider to be, you know, right up there for competition, but we'd be, I always competed really hard to the best of my ability but when it came to training i i probably wasn't a coach's dream um i I think they just saw so much potential um with my athleticism that that it was just more frustrating at the fact that i wasn't going probably as hard as i could and none of them i don't think none of my coaches knew that i was they would I would do whatever I needed to do during practice, like with the rest of the team and going through plays and learning, you know, new maneuvers or new whatever. Um, But then they kind of give you the training, like here's your lifting program, right? Your weightlifting program. And I had never lifted weights before. And I grew up really muscular and like naturally muscular in a time when CrossFit was not a thing being muscular was not a thing for women. And so I, instead of celebrating that, natural, um, I guess, advantage or gift or whatever. I in some ways resented it. I was self-conscious about it. I, you know, wanted no part of going to a gym because, you know, back then you think gym is just going to make you blow, like blow up. And I'm going to look like the, even the guys who worked out at the gym back then were what, you know, like the meathead guys, like not yeah. really, and there was nothing about just general society fitness that it was trendy. So, I mean, I was in no way going to do that. And so I would just say, thank you, take the program and just dropped it in the garbage bin when I got back. You know, it wasn't even recycling back then. Like, <laughs> so, I mean, it's just like, I just, they didn't know. If they were to look at me and my physique, they would just assume I was lifting weights. So there was like, I got away with it, which is terrible to say. I mean, even looking back, hindsight now, but I always kind of justified it in my brain. I tried to say that it wasn't vanity and that I wasn't self conscious about my muscles. And I tried to kind of, you know, make it more about, Well, I don't want to do that. Once I start lifting weights, it becomes a job. I just want to do this for fun. And I'm only want to play because I love it. And you know, it's just something I'm doing to relieve stress. I don't need the added pressure and the added time spent in the gym and all of that stuff while I'm balancing, you know, going to university. And anyway, I probably tried to justify it a number of different ways in my brain, but that's pretty much what happened. Like I just, I just didn't lift weights until I was faced with the Olympics that were five months later and it was more of a challenge. And my sister called me out and said, just do it already because you're not going to want to just miss out on qualifying for the Olympics because you didn't lift weights, because you were too vain to lift weights or you were too worried about what that would be. So she kind of put things in perspective and yeah, it was, was I don't even know if I answered your question. I don't even know what your question was.
2: Honestly, like as an athlete though, I think I, I'm kind of the same way. I I don't think I've ever taken a team program and actually gone through it. I kind of just take it and I'm like, throw it in the garbage and I kind of do my own thing. And with, with rugby, I mean, you were a, a fullback and a winger and it's, it's kind of a position where there's, there's not a ton of, of weightlifting that has to be done, especially with just the natural speed that you had.
1: Well, after I started lifting weights with bobsledding, um, probably it got did,
2: a little bit it, faster.
1: It did make tackling some of the people who are breaking through the line a little bit easier. So it's like lifting though, now has spread across everything. Like, Oh yeah. It, so it makes everything a little bit easier, even a little bit faster because you're, you can run, you can break a tackle better if, if they can catch you. Um, it, <laughs> If they can do that, you can break that tackle a little bit better, right? You've got more force and more and more power to run through someone who's just trying to grab onto a Jersey, you know, and, and, and so it absolutely, uh, is beneficial for, you know, breaking, breaking the line and hitting that gap or, or if you have to tackle someone where, you know, they might've broken through the line or come around the outside. so definitely weightlifting definitely has part of it. But back then, I mean, I was playing at the university, at the university level for me. I mean, it was really just reliant on speed and running around people and then, you know, speed to catch someone and and, and tackle them. And it's a university. It didn't necessarily matter. But when I got to the international level, um, like from my first tournament to my like later ones when, after I'd been lifting weights, I mean, it does, it definitely makes a difference. So, so yeah. Yeah.
2: And I'm interested. So you, you went back and forth in your career from bobsled to, to rugby constantly. Yeah. What was the, like the training adjustment from those two sports? Cause obviously bobsled is, is predominantly strength power. um, Like a, a little bit of speed when you're, when you're coming out, but like rugby is a lot of cardio.
1: Yeah. So I would say that the transition is a lot easier from rugby to bobsledding. Um, and that's more of requires crazy technical training and a little more of your um, top turnover, like your top speed and turnover. Yeah. Um, but from bobsledding to rugby, is torture it is for someone who does not have endurance whatsoever like a definition of fast twitch sprinter um like when someone says have you ever run long distance i would say yes i did 400 meters like that is long distance for me and um like no joke someone's like well don't you are you just going to go for a run for a you know for recovery and i'm like for recovery, no, that is a bath, a recovery, like, right? Am I right? Like that's for oh, me. 100%. As, yeah. Jogging is just like, jogging is torture. Like if I go for, like, I literally went for a run this week, twice, three, three times in a week and a half. The, the first, the, these are the first times I've been running since like September, maybe, and, and when I say first time running, it's really the first time I've done anything. I have stretched a few time, to- a few handful of times in that in over the winter, but barely. So I went for a run and I was gone for 15 minutes and everyone, people would be like, oh my God, well, that's so good. 15 minutes. And I'm like, but I did not run for the whole 15 minutes. <laughs> it was more of a run, walk, run, walk, run, walk. like I don't think people really understand how how difficult and challenging it is for someone who is a sprinter, like calves just want to blow up and float oh, yes. on the side of the street. Um, cardio wise, like it's a lot better actually pulling something up over your mouth now because the cold air in your lungs, but like my cardio is bad. But even when I was in the best shape of my life, like in rugby, I was still not jogging for like endless amounts of time. If someone, if I were to walk on a rugby field right now and say, Oh my gosh, I'm so out of shape, people would give me this, like, Oh yeah, you're so out of shape. Like they would, they would do that. And then I would say, ah, Yes, okay, well, I could probably still potentially, I mean, I haven't sprinted in forever. I'd probably pull something, but technically, I would, if I'd stretched, I could probably still outrun, out, like out sprint most of the people, if not all of them on the field. However, my recovery time would be days as opposed to seconds. It would be like, I would be not walking probably for multiple days. I'd need an adjustment. I'd need 10 Epsom salt baths, like to kind of recover from that. If I'm in then partway through the season, it would literally be like, okay, okay, okay. We did that run. Just give me, give me a couple minutes and I can do it again. If I'm in shape, I can sprint the length of the field, put the ball down, do a quick walk back, be ready for the kickoff or sprint, tackle someone, get back up, take the ball, sprint again, you know, offload it, you know, then jog around, loop around, stand on the back, hover, and then go th- like, it's all about stop, start, sprint, stop, pause, walk three steps, sprint again. Like it's not constant jogging, which I don't think a lot of people understand that there's a really, there's a huge difference between those two. And so anyway, that's the difference. Like fitness for me just means my recovery time for sprinting is shorter. It does not mean that suddenly I can jog (laughs) for half an hour or an hour at all. So that's, that's my definition of fitness.
2: Yeah. And I, I've got pretty much the same one. I mean, I, I grew (laughs) up playing, playing soccer my whole life and I played uh, like six years of rugby and like I, I go for runs now. Cause I'm like, well, I may as well like do something and try and I get my feel cardio like you gotta up. Do something. Yeah. And I'll go, I'll go and try and run like four or five K and I get back. I'm like, that felt like I was dying. Like, how did I used to do this? But then it's, I have to factor in. It's like, well, there's lots of stops and starts and there's a lot of recovery time in there. And it's not just all running, but it takes a little while to get that through yeah. your head. And it's like, I'm not out of shape. It's just, I've never actually. I had the... Currently, I
1: can say <laughs> confidently say that I am. But yeah, I know what you mean. It's it's different. It's a whole different like energy system, basically. I
0: I have to say, I'm totally different between you two. I never sprinted <laughs> or ran or ran short distance. I was endurance. So like, I'm trying to think. Well, I mean, sometimes it hurts, but like not to the point that you two are describing it. So it's just five no. like, k for 40- me. it's. it's Yeah. Like,
1: and people don't understand. They're like, Heather, it's just a job. Like, it's just a run. And I'm like, okay. Okay. So undergrad, I am sure that I had teammates who just thought that I was the laziest and most irresponsible teammate ever off the, like, because I would show up. Like, I mean, I probably got the reputation of being late all the time, but it was intentional. It was like, I showed up on time. But not quite time enough to get my ankles taped in time to join them on their full freaking warm up. <laughs> because, and so Jack, you probably hated teammates like that who kind of snuffed off on the warm up. To me, it was not a warm up. Like that was going to put me out for, like I would need to recover from that warm up run in order to actually practice with the team. It was horrific. And I felt awful. I felt guilty. I felt like, but nobody really got it. Nobody else on the team was built like I was. And it was just like, and couldn't understand how torturous it was. Like I would in high school, you jog those two mandatory laps of the field before stretching and I would stop the jog and I couldn't stand up straight. Cause my calves had shortened so much that I'm literally walking around like tr- like unable to stretch my calves, like unable to even stand up straight because my calves are so tight. I'm like limping around. Like I just got hit with a bullet or something. Like it was, it was nuts, but it's just totally different systems. And I know people who have never like are completely out of shape, but they can still go for a jog. And I'm like, nope. Nope. Can't do it. Can't do it. It's not in my system. I don't know. It's crazy, crazy.
2: I like that you bring that up. Cause I, I did the same thing. I ran track last year and i the warm up, I do whatever I could to <laughs> delay my start time and like oh, hop in for like yeah, hop in for like the last lap. They're like, oh yeah, three or four like seventy five percent laps. I'm like, excuse yeah.
1: me. Yeah, exactly. When, when I did track cycling for that winter, I just did it for one winter basically to to help rehab an ankle injury, and and I went there and they said, okay, well, so it's in the velodrome, and they're like, okay, so we usually warm up with about sixty laps, and I'm like what?
0: Like,
1: I just, to me, I was like, <laughs> I don't understand the concept of 60 laps to warm up. Like, no, anyway, it was crazy. Like it, it it's such different energy systems. And finally now, and with why you're going into coaching, like coaching theory and, and eventually yeah. that's going to transition into other coaching and training. But, um, the like part of maybe part of that is learning. And now we're becoming a lot more aware of different systems for different athletes. And I really hope that I'm, and I know that a lot of the really good coaches can kind of recognize the different systems and that falls all the way down to the simple warmup, like what, what people actually need to, to warm up. Like my trainer um, in Toronto uh, you know, Matt Nickel, Matt Nickel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Matt was my trainer for, for years. God, he's one of the, one of the best people on the planet in terms of human beings, just in case you guys need anyone to <laughs> emulate. Um, he is one of the best human beings on the planet and he, but he got my training program once from Bob's to Canada. And he said, who's this, who did they write this for? And I was like, well, it's the program for break. It's, they I thought they were gonna send a specialized program. And I said, Well, that's the program for Breakman. And he's like, Okay, this was not written for you. First of all, there's like a a three-week cardio fat burning session. Like, have they met you? Like, I don't, I don't understand. And then it's like a um, and then it goes into all of these different things. And he just was just like, Okay, well, I I know what they want for theirs, but that's we're not gonna do that. I'll find something like there's another one that's a little bit better and a little more multi-joint. And then he knew that I never did powerlifting. And then he wouldn't even teach me how to do powerlifting unless I was going to the Olympics for powerlifting. So he had other exercises specifically for that stuff. And he's just, I mean, he's brilliant, but he literally, it's kind of the first time that I was ever, I guess, treated like an individual, like for my system and my body type and my energy systems. And, and he just said like, most, most Olympic athletes and most of the ones on the team would train for six days a week and have a recovery day. Right. And some of those days would be double training days and whatever. And, and so I trained five days a week, never two days off in a row. Like I always had Thursdays and Sundays off and two days were double. So I did seven training sessions over five days, but I had two days of recovery. And when I mean recovery, I do not mean a jog or a bike ride or a Anything. My recovery was recovery. Like I might have had to go for a massage or a treatment or something, but recovery. And part of that was he just said, "Your your nerve. You're a Like your nervous system is so heightened, and that is like what makes you such a phenomenal fast twitch athlete." And he said, "But it's your. It's more your nervous system." that needs to recover than your, than your muscles, like your muscles can manage a lot, but your muscles can just get stronger, but we don't want them to get stronger and slower. And we right. don't want, you know, all of that stuff. And he says, so your nervous system is what's going to keep the firing as quickly as you need to. So yeah, it's crazy to be able to be treated that way.
2: Yeah. I mean, when it comes down to it, I think a lot of training is just, it's very similar to school and everybody has a has a different way of learning and at uh-huh. training everybody needs needs different things and to ask a team to have success based on one one training reg regimen that's made for the entire team just is, isn't realistic it might benefit a few but it's it's not going to be- benefit everyone
1: it's true that also goes with um like mindset and mental prep so you can have like you know the teams where you've got like the rah rah big huge pep talk like the this is it. This is the big game. This is the only one that counts. Like, this is it. This is what it's all come down to. Well, someone is literally going to be like freaking out in their boots. and going to go out and make the wrong choices, choices they never would have made before, but choices that in the moment they like all of a sudden panicked because this is the big game. Well, no, if you tried treated it like every single game that helped you get to that point, obviously you were successful in getting to that point somehow. So if you just treated it like any other game and stopped treating it like the big game, some people need that hype up and some people crumble with that hype up. So it's literally a, like, it's it, a, like, I think that in the younger, younger years, like even in high school, junior high, some coaches need to t- teach their athletes how to figure out what they need and be able to do that kind of to themselves.
2: I wanted to transition to um, 2006. And 2006 might be the most ridiculously crazy year that I in your life that I've seen of an athlete. And I just want to point this out first. So there was two times that you competed in an Olympics and then uh, like four months later went to a Rugby World Cup and didn't just compete, but you led the entire tournament in scoring and 2006 you have bobsledding and the rugby world cup and a master's degree going on Mm. so i want to know like what was that year
1: like Yeah, i was gonna say that was the same as 2010 but then the master's degree was not happening in 2010 um what was that like? That was, uh, yeah. Well, my master's degree got put on a one year, like I had to apply for a one year. leave yeah. of So, I mean, technically I wasn't having to study while I was on tour for bobsledding that year. Um, I mean, now things weren't virtual. I've got to put this, I'm, I'm making myself sound archaic, by <laughs> but like, e- like when we were traveling, there was, I mean, there was email that you could maybe access maybe if you went to the lobby, like to sit in these places where we were staying. And I mean, some of them were training centers and some of them were little, you know, Austrian inns and stuff like that. So there was just not, you'd have to go to maybe a cafe or sometimes they had like, you weren't really keeping in touch with people at home. You kind of said goodbye. You might've had a few emails during the year and then, you know, it was nuts. It's crazy. So It's not like they were having courses online where they would say, I'm sorry, like, you can't do this. You're going to have to do your course while you're traveling or whatever, which would have been a little bit different. I mean, there are athletes right now who are doing some of those virtual, um, like distance learning MBA courses and stuff like that. So there are things that have come a long way, um, which is really great. Um, it does muddy the water a little bit, like the water is a little bit more, like maybe it was better because I was able to kind of put something on hold, and come back to it. But that being said, it also made things super disjointed. I mean, Matt, like occupational therapy is a two-year master's, like a professional master's program. So you're supposed to go through the two years with the same class. Like you kind of have that class that you know, and, you know, love, and you get really close with and all of that stuff. Well, I did one year. And then during that year, I had to take two weeks to go away with the national, my first tour ever with the national rugby team. And, and then another little thing, I think in the spring, another tournament in the spring or in the summer or something. So then at the end of the summer, that's when I suddenly got pulled into this bobsled tryout. And this is all 2005. So this is the summer going into 2006 year. And so I did this tryout and I ended up, I ended up doing it, not, thinking I was going to actually be doing bobsledding. Like who does bobsledding seriously? So I was just doing this testing, but I, end partly to get this recruiter off my back and just be like, okay, fine. I'll do the testing. Like what's the big deal. So I did the testing, but I ended up breaking weather testing records. So all of Of a sudden I, (laughs) I, yeah, but I was like, oh my God, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean? I broke a record amongst these people who've been training for years and who are supposed to be representing us in five months at the Olympics. Like Okay, I haven't been down a track yet. I haven't even seen a bobsled in real life yet. Um, But I wonder if I can. I wonder, can I learn a new sport? Can I learn to do it well? And can I learn to do it well in time to actually qualify and represent my country in five months at the next Olympics? So it became a challenge. Knew nothing about the sport, had never even experienced it. And I was like, oh, okay, well. What's five months of my life? So I go back and talk to my faculty advisor and I said, is there any way that I can like get a year off, like a year leave of absence and still come back into the program without quitting the program because I love this program and I wanna do this program. And and he said, oh, is rugby gonna be really busy this year? (laughs) And I was like, actually it's bobsledding. And he's like, okay, bobsledding, you left here like three weeks ago at the end of the summer semester. And, and I said, no, bobsledding was not even part of my vocabulary three weeks ago. So no, you had no way of knowing, but is it? And so he just started laughing. He's like, oh my God. So we had to apply. He helped me apply. Uh, It helped that I had taken those weeks off um, for tournaments before. So it showed that I was like able to, you know, step away from things and still manage to keep up. So anyway, they said yes. And so all of a sudden in September, I head out to Calgary and do the preseason training and start learning the difference between a dumbbell and a barbell, like all of these things. And then we start on our tour, our season, and it goes right into the Olympics. And then as soon as that was done, I was supposed to, I had to get permission also not really permission, but I had to talk to the national rugby coaches about this bobsledding thing that came out of nowhere because I said, well, if I make the team, then I'll miss the, the fall camp. And they said, okay, well, then there's the spring camp. And I said, well, I a hundred percent will be at that spring camp unless I'm competing in the Olympics. And so at the time, I don't know the coaches, whether they thought that I would go to the Olympics or not, but they were just like, okay, deal. If you go to the Olympics, we'll be okay with that. Like, so I was like, okay, all right, well, here we go. So I missed both of those tours. And then after the season was done, that's when most bobsledders will take two months off and do nothing until they start their, training again, their dry land training. And so for me, I think I took a week, like I might've taken 10 days. I just couldn't afford to do anything else. I had to suddenly get endurance back again. And I, that's, that was a crazy transition. I had to, there was another, there was a camp later in the, in the spring and it was like a training camp plus a couple of games against the U S and I, it was like a, it was a tryout and I had to try out just like everyone else. And And it was, yeah, it was, um, I had a lot of, there was pressure in different directions. And, and I mean, people like, it's weird because as soon as you step into the Olympic, um, into this elite level, which now it's more being understood in universities, but, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't even lifting weights. So it's not even like I was doing protein shakes. So all of a sudden with the Olympics come, you know, protein shakes. Cause I had to put on muscle mass and like, so they were trying to pound me and eat as much as possible and lifting. And I mean, just in those five months, I think I, what did I lose? I, I put on 11 pounds, but I lost 3% body fat or something. Like it was like a crazy yeah just because I'd never lifted weights before. And I, you know, I was pounding protein shakes and trying to eat a bunch of like, it was crazy. Um, so it was kind of cool coming back to rugby and being a little bit bigger, a little bit, like a, a lot stronger and stuff. So to be able to step on there and kind of do that, it was actually a really cool feeling to be. It's when you feel strong enough to hold your own and come back in there. Anyway, that was a really cool feeling, but you're right. That flip over that cardio part was really brutal. Um, and I had to prove myself at that camp. And I mean, there were, there were some doubters for sure. There were also some people who like on the team who didn't think that I should be there. I'm sure like part of them, I think Want a lot of the girls were super happy that I was there, like most of the team, but there were the few who had, you know, I was taking somebody's spot, right. I was you know, if I did well, I was going to take either their spot or their friend's spot. And it's not, it's not easy being that person coming in. People think, oh yeah, you just walk in. Well, no, you don't like, and it's, I understand the repercussions and I also, but I also understand elite sport is elite sport. And, and so it was, it, it's really, it was a hard, it was a hard dynamic. There were even a couple of issues with the trainer that, that became, you know, I I just realized that a lot of the decision-making That you do, you have to be responsible for what's going in your body and you have to be responsible for your choices, whether it's based on your values or whether it's based on, no, like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to take, I can't take that pro even though you're giving that to the entire team. I can't take that because I don't know where it came from. No, it's not that I don't trust you. No, no, no. Your ego should be fine. I, I don't mean to like crack your ego. I just, I am okay with not taking that pre-game, whatever it is you're serving. And it's probably a hundred percent fine, but I'm just saying that I am okay with not making the team. If I don't perform with or with it, like without taking that step. So if you need to cut me from the team, because I don't perform. And if that not lack of performance is because I chose to not take something or to take whatever, then I'm okay with that. And so it was, it became this like, yeah, until, until that afternoon. And I scored twice against the States and then he, it was fine. But, um, I mean, it's just like that you just, you, all of a sudden there were all these pressures that I'd never had before that I didn't have to think about before. And for me, it's that that was after more after Vancouver, because I said, if anyone, if I give anyone any reason to question, like that, I was not a hundred percent clean when I ran, when I won those medals why would I ever jeopardize that? Like I could, I will like, to me, I'm like, I will never have a, like, if it means never having a protein shake, well, which I never did ever from booster juice. Cause you don't know, you don't know you, that stuff has not been tested. You don't know where that's coming from. For me, it's like strawberry and banana, please. No, no protein. Like you just, you realize the repercussions of that. But anyway, going back to that year, yes, it was crazy. And as soon as the rugby was done, the rugby world cup was in the like August, September, and then that was really, it was a fun tournament. It was a really fun tournament. And then that was done. And then I'm right into my master's degree, but not until like the third week or fourth week of September. So I'm now coming into a class who's in the second year of a program they've already had a full year together. They all know, it. I don't know one single person in this class. And not only is it, is it their second year, but it's already almost a month into that year. So people already kind of have their, you know, their pockets and their people and their whatever, and you're coming in and, and you're, you're no longer just an anonymous girl who's coming in three weeks late, you're Olympian world rugby, like rugby per, like it's, it's a weird, it's a, it's always a weird situation, but that year was pretty intense, pretty intense with the catch-ups and the, yeah. If you have teachers who are willing to accommodate and are excited for you, then it's, it's, it's good, but it doesn't make things less difficult.
2: Yeah. And so you had talked about needing rugby Canada's permission to go on bobsled. And I wanted to ask, I can't imagine that bobsled Canada was too (laughs) over the moon about you still playing rugby, especially with the rate at which people get hurt playing rugby. And then there was two, two times that you did get hurt playing rugby. So which then led to your, your short cycling, short, but successful cycling career. So I I just want to like, what was the uh, what was the reaction from bobsled after uh, that, that had happened?
1: Yeah. So rugby technically I didn't have to ask permission to rugby Canada, but it's just that I knew that it was a year leading up to a world cup and I wanted to, I wanted them to be aware of the situation and, and I mean, it's, it's not like you're, if you do one tour with them, you're flat out part of the team anyway. Yeah. There are tryouts and, and stuff and almost like different World Cup tours is a tryout in and of itself to see if you're kind of advancing to, to the World Cup. Um, but it was really just making sure that everyone was transparent, that it was transparent, that everyone was on the right page. And that was the beginning. And to be honest, I just don't think rugby thought that I was going to necessarily go to the Olympics and miss those tours. Um and then after that, it was when I got injured. I got injured. Oh well, yeah. So after that, it was I had a my driver ended up getting a sponsor. And the sponsor was kind of willing to put um, it wasn't a financial sponsor to for well for us anyway, the brakeman at least. I don't know about the driver, but um, it was more of a they would help kind of pay for certain like trainings or, or some therapies and stuff that if you, if you needed it, they would kind of help with that side of things. But the, this businessman is the one who sat me down and I mean, rugby, did, I mean, bobsledding, the coaches did the same thing at one point too. They said, so, I mean, the Olympics are coming up. Um, are you, we, we really think, so this is the sponsor saying this. We think that you, we really would like you to, to quit rugby until after the Olympics are over. And I said, like, no, like, why would I, why would I do that? And, and they said, well, because the risk of injury is so high. And I said, yes, well, I could also get injured in bobsledding, or I could get injured walking down the street, or I could get injured. And they just said, well, Heather, the rate of injury is really high in rugby. And if we're, if we are going to make an investment in you and the team, then we need to make sure that it's you know, right now with you playing rugby, it's a high risk investment. And I'm like, yes, but in your line of work, isn't the saying, doesn't the saying go high risk, high reward. And he just looked at me and didn't know what to say. And I just like, I mean, I think he knew, I said, I was recruited as a rugby player. Like I was playing rugby before any of this. And so if there's a problem, then I'm okay with just playing rugby, like, or pushing the next best team or whatever. And they didn't want me pushing the next best team. So like, it just kind of became this, I mean, they, they finally were like, okay, we'll accept that. Well, whatever. And so everything was fine for that year. And then going into that that season, and then I broke my shoulder. So that kind of was like, not the greatest so then, when I rehabbed, I rehabbed that rest of the spring and all through the summer, in time to be back for the bobsled team again that year. And this was going into 2008, I think, so 08, 09. So the the season before the Olympic season, and I could tell that I was just not quite. I wasn't as tightly incorporated into that team dynamic as much, and I can understand it partly because it's not that she didn't trust me as a person to be committed, but she, it was hard to trust, to put all eggs in one basket. If I'm going to, you know, potentially get injured. And so it was a very strange year. Um, And, but part of that is what allowed me to switch sleds and, and, and be in different sleds. And so it kind of opened up to different opportunities a little bit. Um, But it was, it's, I mean, injuries happen, but you kind of go into things with eyes wide open and making sure that, you know, What do you, I mean, there's no guarantee that like, if I gave up rugby, there's still no guarantee that I'm not going to get injured doing bobsledding or doing something else. And so for me, you just have to make decisions based on what you love and, and what you're going to be okay with in the long run. And, but yeah, they weren't very happy about that. (laughs) Yeah. It's the same thing. The coaches, the coaches said that they wanted me to move to Calgary. And I just said, why do I have to move to Calgary? He said, well, if you're serious about, you know, winning at the Olympic games in Vancouver, you'll move to Calgary. I said, Oh my God, I thought if I wanted to win the Olympics, I just had to train my ass off. Like I didn't know geography. Oh my God. If you'd only told me geography had everything to do with it. I would have like, let's just tell everyone. Right. And he just started laughing and he's just like, seriously, Heather. And I go, no, seriously, I don't need to move to a place that is so um, I don't need to forget that there are things that are more important than sports. Like I want to be reminded on a daily basis that it's still a sport And that it is just something that I do. It doesn't define me necessarily. It's not my total identity and that there are things that are in this world that are really more important than sport. So it was kind of a, uh, I don't know, I'm a redhead too stubborn. So maybe it was just, it was just my way of like, (laughs) I don't know, but anyway, yeah, I never moved out to Calgary. I think I'm the only sliding athlete who never kind of moved out to Alberta. So it is what it is. But again, it comes down to that decision we talked about earlier, like, if I don't train hard enough to be as good as I need to be to make that team, then fine. Then it's my then it's my own fault and I can own that. I can say, okay, I'm just, I'm not good enough. I did not train. I'm not, I just wasn't good enough to make that team. But to me, that environment, especially knowing that I had to be on tour with everybody. I mean, I love some of those girls, but it's living with people it, all it's year a lot. round and being with year, it's a lot. And so for me, I just knew that, for my own mental sanity, if I knew I was going to be on tour with them or be with them from September till March. And for a lot of that time, pretty much 24, seven, um, then I needed my, I needed my kind of dry land training to be done on my own. So somewhere else. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's no, like, that's incredible. The, um, the things you've been touching on recently too, is kind of the things you've mentioned in your Ted talk that you were fortunate to do way back in the day, but
1: that was before I even knew what Ted talks were.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So I, I watched that one. Um, I myself, am like, I love Ted talks. I'm big into those. Not many athletes get to do them. So I think that's, that's an incredible feature that you can add on the, on the resume for that one. But, um, before we get into the things you talked about and your public speaking, what was it like being, being on a Ted talk?
1: Well, I probably maybe would have been more nervous if I'd known what a big deal it was. Um, It's kind of like everything, right? If you blow it up in your mind, it ends up kind of making things sometimes worse. But um, it was, I feel really great, kind of grateful that I was, uh, had the opportunity to do that. But that being said, like, I didn't know the format. I didn't know that there were, that I was supposed to pick my own topic. Like, I asked them, I said, Oh, well, what's the theme? And what do you want me to talk? Like, and they basically gave me a theme, like a topic. And so I, you know, I said, okay, let's, I'll make something up. Cause most of my keynotes are an hour. Like I speak for an hour. And, and so for them to just say, you have this amount of time, please have like, I mean, in this interview, you know, that I'm not short on words. Like it's, it's hard to keep within a time limit. Like, unless you're used to doing that. And so now in hindsight, of course there, it would, it, I would love to do another Ted talk, you know, really hone it into my particular messaging and really be able to kind of nail it home. But when I look at that Ted talk in my brain at first, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, it must've been awful. But when I have gone back and listened to it, I'm like, okay, yeah, not so bad. Not you know, there was, I mean, that was years ago. So now, you know, as a professional speaker and speaking, you know, Jillions of times. Obviously, things have changed, things have evolved, things have have gotten much more comfortable. And it's 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 a lot better. Same with everything, right? The more we do something, the better we get. So, but anyway, I'm pretty pleased with how it went. And a lot of people comment on that on the TED talk.
0: No, it was it was really cool to listen to. Um, you also were very open about your past and your your bringing up and your family lifestyle, which I thought was pretty cool, but one thing that you're, you're very vocal on is like mental stability and mental toughness and things like that. Um, and now you're a coach, how do you find that through your experiences with, you know, the different sports you are and, and the speaking that you've developed like this coaching persona, how have you kind of done that?
1: I think that the coaching, like the kind of personal development coaching, I think that that has evolved, not necessarily because of my sports. I mean, I think that the sports kind of shines a light on who I am and my messaging. But I think in terms of the coaching, it comes from the messaging itself. And I think a lot of people are drawn to it because it's all about mindset and it's all about perspective. And so often, either when I'm, if I'm posting something or even my book is written in a way that's kind of, and the way way I speak, I'm not going to get up and pretend to be an expert in whatever this industry conference is about, right? That's not my place. I can't tell you how to... To even download software. Like if it's a software company, or I'm not going to tell you what seeds to use at an agricultural co- convention. Like all of these things are, are in no way somewhere where I'm going to talk, tell them how to do their job. But I can definitely talk about mind, having a champion mindset in terms of all areas of your life. And most of that comes down to perspective, perseverance, courage, and creativity to think outside the box. And the importance of thinking outside the box. A lot of people think in terms of like being an entrepreneur and starting your business and, you know, thinking outside the box in that way. I talk about thinking outside the box in terms of overcoming the obstacles or challenges that we perceive to be standing in our way to achieving the things that we want. And so part of that is like redefining what our goals are or redefining how we can go about achieving those goals. And I think that part of the reason why I'm able to kind of, get into that messaging a lot is because of my master's degree in occupational therapy. I mean, as an occupational therapist, it is, it's an OT's job to get people back to doing the activities that are important to them in their daily life. And so for me, it's, that comes down to that creativity, that thinking outside the box that, okay, you're in a wheelchair, but sailing is your passion. All right, well, let's figure out how we're going to get you back on a sailboat. Like it does not, it's, it's, walking, you could give, can I say two shits? You can give two shits. Oh, absolutely.
0: Encouraged.
1: (laughs) You could give, like, you could not care the least about walking, but as long as you can be on a boat doing like doing what you love, it's, it's like, it's finding out the things that are really, truly important to someone and helping them find ways to be able to do that, to own their, own their lives again, like own their stories and kind of redefine what that means to them. And, and so I think that a lot of that is brought into when I'm working with clients or when I'm even just with my messaging on social media and, and basically with my keynotes and with my book, the entire goal that I have one is to make, entertain people with certain stories and whatever. But a lot of times the messaging is so subliminal through those stories that the whole point is that they leave, either leave that event or they finish my book and they suddenly start questioning their assumptions about what they currently believe to be possible or impossible. And they might start challenging their fears that might be like these underlying fears that they might be able to recognize that might be standing in their way and start, I don't know, like also challenging their self-limiting beliefs, like the stories that they've told themselves for so long, but where do those stories come from? And why am I telling myself those stories? And whoever said that those were true, it's, just what I've come to believe because I've said it so much to myself. So really it's just, I leave people, like people will leave or close my book starting to that's, that's my goal is that they just start questioning those things and then challenging themselves and embracing the possibilities that, that could be if they kind of opened up that, that vision. So that's, that's kind of where it all falls in. I think.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's incredible. It's like, cause I've, I've worked with kids before. So sometimes, you know, just, they limit themselves and then you can see that. And then that's, what's holding them back from achieving their level of greatness. So I want to create like a scenario for you before we jump to the personal <laughs> segment. Right. Um, so you have a young developing athlete, right? As- doesn't matter the sport, whatever you want. They think that they can go to the Olympics, but they're not sure. All right. What would you tell them in terms of pursuing their dream? You've only got like 10 seconds. Like it's like a, I guess the biggest piece of advice you can give to them.
1: I would say nobody's sure. If you wanted to take one of my quotes, I said, it's not about pursuing, you're not pursuing the guarantees, you're pursuing the possibilities. Nobody's ever sure you could be the, you could like know that you have the best skills in the world, but you still may get an ankle injury a month out of the Olympics and never become an Olympian. So you will not, you will never be sure unless you try, and you will never know how good you can be unless you set your goals higher than the place that, you know, for sure you can achieve
0: shivers that's uh, that's awesome thank you that, that was great that was great oh man it's yeah thank you that was that was pretty cool i wa- I wanted to put you on the spot and see what you would say but yeah that couldn't have gotten anybody. yeah absolutely so yeah at the uh,
2: at the end of our episodes we like to uh have, have a little bit of fun and kind of ask some more unique questions and quicker quicker based so If you had to pick raw questions, a little bit, sort of.
1: I'm not good at these. Okay. (laughs)
2: Okay. So if you if you had to pick one moment from your career, apart from the medals and apart from the Hall of Fame, what is the highlight?
1: The highlight of my entire like life.
2: Entire sports career.
1: Oh, sports career. Mm. Define sports career. Um, I would say one of the things I'm most proud of. I'm going to say two different things. One, the thing that I'm probably the most proud of of is having started a sports leadership development camp when I lived in Trinidad and Tobago. And it was a camp called Camp Able, Active Bodies Leadership and Esteem. And it was developed for kids who were deaf and hearing impaired and from kids all around the Caribbean. And part of that was because a lot of people, even my supervisor down there didn't believe it would ever get off the ground, didn't believe I could do it. And so that is something that I, I actually just look them up. They have a Facebook page. They've now been going on for like 11 years, like or 10 years. It's just, it's crazy to me. Um, And I just feel really proud of that. Like that is a huge highlight for me. Um, But I think that the moments that really stick out for me in my athletic career, it might not, they're a couple, but they're all for the same reason. Proving people wrong.
0: Yeah. I love it. I love it.
1: That might be the ginger in me, but it is it's, it's when you have so many people who are questioning whether, and not saying outright right that you can't do it, but you know, the body language and the, well, we'll see and the, the warning, like the, maybe you should take a safer route or whatever. The and I'm subtle comments. My, people, like my <laughs> the subtle, the subtleties. Yeah. My family's always been super supportive. So, but I'm talking like, even with the media or with sometimes even coaches or teammates, or, I mean, it's just crazy. And it's, just, I just love, I love that. I love proving people wrong.
2: And I definitely think it's a ginger thing. Cause I, I, I love doing that too. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. All right. So if somebody asks you what sport you participated in as an athlete, what's the first one that comes out of your mouth? Like what sport did you identify with the most?
1: I identify more with. Oh God, I don't know. It's like my passion is rugby, um, so I would say rugby probably. But I'm more known for bobsledding because it's because it was Olympics and it was, you know, so elevated and and all of that stuff. So uh, bobsledding, to be honest, might come out of my mouth first. Interesting. But definitely, definitely I rugby, thought it was rugby in my blood. Yeah. So I don't know.
2: All right. See,
1: um, I'm terrible at these questions. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Has anyone? contacted you about making a movie about your life yet
1: oh my gosh um, yes and no no meaning nobody official yes i meaning um i did i did i've done a couple of events well it hasn't been for years but i don't know if you know jess mccallan she's an actress um and she was in mistresses and she's in um anyway she's in, she's been in a bunch of stuff um, but she um, I was actually mistaken for her once, which is crazy. We we do not look, we don't look alike, but we could look alike, if that makes any sense. Like in certain pictures of someone's like, okay, yeah, I could see, maybe sisters, like whatever. But we were after an event and we were at this, we were at a bar it, sitting kind of in a cornered roped-off couch area, and I <laughs> went over to the bar to get some drinks and uh these two girls were just like gid- giddy giggling and stuff and they said um oh my god you look so much like our favorite actress ever you look oh my god you're just oh my god you just it's crazy how much you look like her and I said who and they're like oh, Jess McAllen she's in and I said yes, like, that's Jess McAllen like that Jess <laughs> McAllen and they were ah! and I literally had to apologize to Jess forever I was like I didn't they went nuts and that's the I, like they were like I had to kind of apologize because they were a bit intrusive in the, in the corner. Um, But anyway, that was crazy. That being said, Jess said that she goes, she commented about making a movie, making, she goes, I would play you. And I'm like, well, that would be great because at least we kind of look alike, but she said, I would love to do a story about your life and play you. But I mean, this is, we weren't drinking when she said this. (laughs) But, um, but I mean, yeah, you also have to give permission to do that. And there's some things that you just, it depends on what story people are going for. And sometimes they want to go for stories that are distorted. And I don't know that I'm necessarily in a place where I want to publicly be putting, you know, being the person that makes some people not look great or yeah. So I don't know, there'd be a lot to be said with that.
2: All right. And I know before we wrap it up, Jack has a, as a few he wants
0: to throw your way uh, of uh intensity they're not as intense as the last three but they're they're fun um if you could speak at any forum what would it be
1: uh i have not what? thought about that like
0: university another ted talk or like um a, like a graduating class speech
1: Uh, Well, I've done, I've done though. I've I've done the graduating speech. Um, I've done, I do, I like talking to graduating athletes or graduating students or students coming into university, but I also like, I'd like to be on stage with like Rachel Hollis or um, like one that reaches more people that's more public as opposed to just one university or one company or one, you know, something like that. Maybe another Ted talk. I don't know. To me, I think every, this is not how you wanted me to answer this question. <laughs> oh my God.
0: Not exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, it is so good. I just like it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Not short answers here. Um, yeah, I just think the bigger the platforms, the better, um, to reach more people. Would you so, say
0: like, like an opening of a games? I think that would be pretty, uh, Pretty interesting. Opening of your
1: games. Well, I guess so, except I taught my keynotes are usually an hour. So nobody's going to sit around for an hour when they've got, <laughs> you know, games to play. So maybe a little bit different.
0: The, uh, the last question I got for you is, so you can have a dinner with two other people, no matter what time or era they could be alive or dead. Who would it be?
1: Quiet and Jack.
0: Wow. Wow. <laughs> How's that? All right. That, I'll take it. That's I'll the best it. answer to a question we've ever had. Yes.
1: And that was a quick answer. I thought I would gift you with a quick answer.
2: (laughs) Perfect. All right. Well, Heather, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to to have a chat with us.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for having me. This is really great, you guys.